Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Happy Sunday. I always have to do the thing where I find out where the edge is. Anybody here been nervous watching me get up to the edge for the last few weeks? Yeah, somebody mentioned it last week. They were like, I was really nervous the whole time you spoke last week. I didn't hear anything you said. I'm like, I'm like, I'm a professional. I've done this before. But you know what will happen. One day I'll fall off of here and I'll break my ankle in front of everyone. Anyway, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to wrap up the series that we're doing here at the Vineyard right now called Cultivate. And the idea behind this series, in case you haven't been here, is this. Everyone is a garden, and everyone is a gardener. Which is really just the idea that everyone is called to give care, and everyone's called to receive care. Uh, in fact, if you wanted to understand what, what mature spirituality really is, mature spirituality is becoming someone who is able to give care, but also becoming someone who's able to receive care. How many of you know that sometimes it's easier to give some care than it is to actually acknowledge that you're a weak person who needs some care, you know? Oftentimes, we find that to be the truth, especially for us uh, here in America. Sometimes it's easier to be uh, the savior than it is to be the person who needs to be saved. Sometimes it's easier to be the helper rather than it is to be the person who needs to be helped. But one of the things that we've been trying to explore is, no, that's really not the case. Uh, If you're a mature believer, uh, what it means to be a mature person is somehow waking up to this reality that I need to receive care, and at the same time, I need to give care. That's just just what it means to be a person of the kingdom. And the reason we've been doing this is because we've been acknowledging the fact that our world is increasingly dislocated. Especially for the last five or six months, we've been living here in pandemic days, and it's made everything more dislocated than normal. And so some of the normal care functions that exist just by being a part of a church, they've broken down. And, and, and I talked about this for a, a few weeks ago, and I'll remind you again this morning. Uh, you guys remember what happened or what happens here at church when we get together you know, before the pandemic, and everybody would be in there? Uh, getting coffee or maybe milling around before and after service. You know, wh- what are the kinds of things that happen in those moments? Invariably, we see one another and we always ask the question, how are you doing, right? And so in those moments, our body, this, this, this collective church body here at the Vineyard, in these very informal moments, we're finding out what's really happening with one another, you know? And one of the things that we've realized as a staff over the last five or six months is that our ability to to care has gone way down simply because we don't know what's happening anymore. Like one of the things that we found out a few months ago is that uh, someone here at the Vineyard who's very, very dear to us, been here for like over 15 years, had cancer. And it, and it took us a while to even find out. Why? Because we just weren't with each other. Does that make sense? And so part of what we wanted to do for the last month is just wake up to the fact that, hey, everybody here needs care, but this is the other part. Everybody here needs to give care to the people that we are in fellowship with, but then also to our families. And then last week we talked about work and school, those people that we spend maybe more time with than our own families. Like we're called to pasture and cultivate and give care in those spaces. 
And I had another message for you planned this morning, and then I just scrapped it at the last minute because I had a, had a scripture, actually a series of scriptures, pop into my brain. Uh, and I think this maybe is a message for us this morning, and it's, it's related to the idea of cultivate, but uh, last second submissions this morning. So this is either going to go real well or it's going to go really bad. We'll just see. Uh, here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about leaving the edges. I woke up, I woke up, I guess it was on Friday morning, had everything kind of wrapped up for the weekend, and I had, I had a series of scriptures pop in my, in my mind, and my heart couldn't shake it. And so I pressed delete on everything else that I had, and we just sort of went back to the table. I, I want to read you two scriptures from Leviticus and one scripture from Ruth. If that's okay. Now, how many of you? How many of you get nervous as soon as the pastor says he wants to preach to you from Leviticus? <laughs> yeah, and you're like, oh my gosh, here it comes. No, here's what I want to do. I want to share with you two scriptures from Leviticus, and then one scripture from Ruth, and then I want to share with you just a really simple gospel word. This is the the scripture that jumped into my heart the other day, out of nowhere. Must have been the Spirit. It goes like this. This is what the Lord says to his people. He says, hey, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vine and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I'm the Lord your God. Leviticus 23. Look, look at what he's saying. He's saying the exact same thing, isn't he? Look at this. The Lord says again, same book, a couple chapters later. By the way, the context here is a little different. We might get into it later. I'll, I don't know. If not, go back and read it. Homework this morning. The Lord says, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and foreigners living among you. I'm the Lord your God. Let's go to Ruth. The reason I wanted to read just a few verses from Ruth is because Ruth is the story of this actually lived out. Do you all remember the story of Ruth? Uh, who is Ruth, by the way? She's a foreigner. That's really important, okay? I'm going to read you just a couple verses here. Now, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. Several pregnant ladies in the house this morning. I just want to say, have you considered Boaz? <laughs> That's an underused Bible name. I just want to put it out there. You don't have to. I think that's pretty awesome. Wealthy guy named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Elimelech. Anybody else want to take a stab? Elimelech. Elimelech. And one day, Ruth, look at this, one day Ruth the Moabite, read for that what? Foreigner, said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. And Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, 
the relative of her father-in-law. Okay, a couple things that are kind of like key here. Uh, number one, we've already picked up on this. Ruth is not a part of the in crowd. She's foreigner. And, and what's the other thing we know about Ruth? If she's, harv- if she's harvesting behind the harvesters, what does that mean? She's poor. Got nothing. The Lord says, when you go to harvest, don't pick up everything. Leave the edges of your field. And when you go to your vineyard, don't strip every vine bare and don't pick up anything you drop. Leave it for the poor and leave it for the foreigner. Um, Many of you know, if you've been here at the vineyard for even a minute, you know that my family and I, we have a few acres of wine grapes and we make wine in a winery. And this is kind of an exciting time of the year because we're headed towards harvest. It's September now. And usually, somewhere around September 25, somewhere around my father's birthday, the red grapes are ready to be harvested. And when they're very, very ripe, when they're very, very ripe, you'll go out to the clusters and they're, they get this magnificent color to them, almost hazy. And, and the grapes in our vineyard, they're not just purple, they're like black purple, you know? And when they're very, very ripe, one of the things that happens is um, grapes will fall off the cluster. And if you're new in the vineyard, it creates some anxiety for people who have never harvested grapes before because you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm dropping all this stuff. It's just dropping. And, if, and you, there's this impulse to like get on your hands and knees and, and to pick it all up. Anybody, anybody ever picked grape with the grapes? If some of you all have. Uh, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like they're, they're falling on, like you're picking them up and they're falling on the ground and there's this impulse to like get down and gather it up, you know? Yeah. I'm just telling you that story because... It's one that came to mind when I was thinking about these scriptures. And one of the things that you realize when you're out in the vineyard is eventually you, you just can't, you can't pick it up. You just, you just have to leave some of it behind. And one of the things that I, I've sort of enjoyed for the last few years when this happens is I enjoy the thought that, that what we leave behind, the birds are going to come and eat, you know? And it's headed towards winter, and they get to, they get to fill their little bellies and with, with sweet grapes, and they get to put on a little fat for the winter. I, I'm sort of comforted by the thought that the animals come out, and they get what is theirs. Anyway, here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you this morning about leaving the edges. I think it's a word for us. One of the reasons I think it's a word for us is because of the moment we live in. But one of the other reasons I think this is a word for us is because as we've already seen this morning, this is a word that God gives to his people not one time in scripture, but he gives it over and over. And there's a couple other places that are very similar that I could go to this morning and show you. But this is something that is apparently deeply connected to the heart of God. How many of you know that if you find anything in Scripture, it's important, but when things tend to be repeated, they're very, very important? You know? Here we have it in Leviticus 19 and Leviticus 23, and then it's lived out beautifully in the entire book of Ruth. And it's just this thing that gets multiplied. Like, don't take everything. Don't use everything up. Leave something 
for some others. That's something that's deeply, deeply connected to the heart of God. Uh, anytime we see something repeated over and over in Scripture, we know it must be like very, very important. Think about some of the things that are repeated over and over in Scripture. You know? Now think about the Gospels. How many of you know that the Gospels are the retelling of the story of Jesus? So this must be like really important, you know? But not only that, but inside of the Gospels, how many of you know that not everything about Jesus is repeated over and over? You know that story about uh, Jesus uh, shaking his parents and, and staying at the temple and they, they travel and they can't find him? Uh, guess how many Gospels that story is in? One. Not all the Gospels have that story. Just, just one. But, but the Gospels are not just the story of Jesus over and over again. The Gospels also contain some of the stories about Jesus every single time. And the reason they do that is because that's the gospel way of saying, like, this stuff is, like, really, really important. And what are some of the things that are repeated over and over? Uh, crucifixion and resurrection. You know what else is really strange, too, when you start reading the gospels? Here's something that's repeated over and over again. The feeding of the 5,000. That's even in the gospel of John. And John doesn't have any of the other stuff that the other guys put in. What's that about? Apparently, apparently God loves to provide for the hungry. Like that's one of the things that's near to his heart. Like for people who are desperate to receive something from God, God will provide it for them. In fact, Jesus says as much in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. There's just something that's really close. And so there's these scriptures this morning that come to us from the Old Testament, and it really it really gives us some idea of who God is and the way that God is. And part of what we see this morning is that God is someone who says to his people, don't take everything you could, but leave the edges. And if I could put that maybe in a slightly more modern vernacular, part of what God is saying is, leave some margin. Isn't that a, isn't that a, mar, isn't that a modern concept? We talk about having margin but i just want to tell you this morning that margin margin is a god concept why because this world that we live in wants to ring you out and, and some of you all are very aware of it this morning like you felt fairly wrung out like the world wants to ring you out it wants to ring you out this world wants to own every single piece of you Amazon wants to own every single piece of you. This world wants you to enter into its anxiety. And some of us do. And let me tell you, when you do, there's no shame in that. Uh, we're fragile creatures. God is not beating you up when you fail and you enter into the anxiety of the world. Okay? I just want you to know. But this world wants you to enter into its anxiety. Uh, the way that the economy want, uh, it, it runs, it wants to... It wants to draw you into its anxiety. Uh, parental expectations want to draw you in to their anxiety. Life treats you this way. But it's not the kingdom way. The kingdom way is to have some margin. By the way, margin gets to the very heart of our belief about life. Margin, just the idea of margin gets to the very heart of what we believe about life. Why? Because the God of the Bible is a generous God. And the world, the tr here's the truth, you all. The truth is the world that we live in is a generous world, but 
The systems of the age, the powers of the age, want us to believe that it's a scarce world. And in order to enter into kingdom margins, and in order to be the sort of people who could leave the edges, we have to begin to believe that God's a generous God, and that the world is a generous world, and that there's enough. Because the powers of the age want you to think that there is not enough, and that scarcity is the ruling prince of the air, and that you better get yours. But the God of the Bible doesn't reveal himself as that at all. In fact, the God of the Bible, he reveals himself at the very beginning as a creator and a gardener. You all remember this? The book of Genesis opened up with God creating the world, and he makes man, and he makes woman, and he puts them in a garden. And by the way, the man and the woman, they don't make the garden, they just, they're given a garden. And so like right in line with everything we've been talking about for the last few weeks, like God is a gardener. He's the first gardener. Uh, the world is abundant. It's like filled with life. And God puts the man and the woman in the garden to like work and to cultivate the garden. Like your life was meant to, to flourish. Your mo- life was meant to be set inside of flourishing and then to add to the flourishing. Like that's the world. That's the real thing. But, but not only is God a gardener, in that same moment, Part of what we see is that God uh, is a creator, uh, God's, a, God's a gardener, uh, God's a God of generosity, God's a God of enough. Uh, God is a working God, like he likes to do things, he likes to get his hands dirty. But then, but then right in that story, after six days of work, God does what? Takes a day off, he takes a Sabbath, and, and this says something about not only who God is, but about like the world we live in. That, that God, from the very beginning, he leaves margin inside of life. And he says, you know what? Uh, life is about work, but it's not just about work. It's also about like rest. And by the way, Sabbath is not just about rest, but it's about pleasure. It's about like really enjoying what, what life is. You know, uh, here's the most holy thing you could do on Sunday. Take a nap and do the things you really, really enjoy. Like... Like, what, what's the best thing you could do on a Sunday? After you leave here, you should take a nap. You should cook the best food that you can cook. You should enjoy it with your very favorite people. And, and if you're of the ilk, you should open the best wine and share it with your best friends. And you should tell the best stories. Because the world that we live in is a generous, it's a generous world where there's enough. It's, it's so generous and there's so much that God even could take a day off. There's a holy rhythm to life, like six days on and one day off. There's something about it. God wanted to build margins in, you know? And some of us want to take six days off and one day on. You can't do that. Like, that ain't it. Like, for real. Six days on. Put six days in and take one day off. That's the holy rhythm. But it's deeply rooted in the truth about the world we live in. Here's the truth. There's always enough. Can we say that together this morning? There's always enough. There's always enough. Kingdom people know that. Kingdom people know that there's always enough. There's so much that you can leave margin. You can leave margin and everything will work out just fine. The God of the Bible, uh, one of the things that we see from the scripture this morning is this, that the God of the Bible is working in the heart of things, but he's also working in the margins of things. You know, we know that God is working in the heart of things, like whatever it is, wherever we think things are really important, wherever thing, wherever thing is supposed to be, uh, 
with it. Wherever, wherever things are filled with important people, wherever there's influence, wherever the action is, I, I want you to know God's working there. But part of what we see in the scripture this morning is that God is also working in the margins of things, uh, where we didn't expect to find them, where people are not powerful, where people are weak. God is working in the center, but he's also working in the edges. God is working in the heart of things, and he's working in the margins. That's what we see in Leviticus, and we see it again in Ruth in a very particular way. God is saying, he's saying something that borders on conservation. He's saying, don't take it all. Leave the edges of your field. And for today, let me just say this. Uh, the field that God is talking about, uh, it's a stand-in for your life. Not everybody here is a farmer, uh, the field is a stand-in for your life or your life's work. Your field is the context for your harvest. And it's not just your harvest, but it's the soil that everything grows out of. And hopefully everybody in this room has found their field. And if you haven't found your field, hopefully you're on your way. Hopefully we're all investing our efforts into something that produces and blesses. And hopefully it blesses us, and hopefully it blesses ours. And hopefully your work, and hopefully your care, or more generally your life, is producing in a way that sustains things. And in that very place, the God of the Bible would say this to everybody in the room. He would say, don't take it all. Like everybody here is working on something. You're working on some kind of a dream. You're working on some kind of, some kind of fire inside of your heart. And... Hopefully that fire, hopefully that dream is producing something for you. Hopefully it is sustaining you. And the God of the Bible would say, if you want to be a kingdom person, don't take it all. Leave some margins. Leave some edges. That which you've worked for, that which you've tended, that which you've sown, that which you've cultivated, leave the edges. Leave a little margin. Here's what this world wants you to do. This world wants you to take it all. You've worked for it. It's yours. Take it all. This world wants you to gather it all in. This world wants you to maximize your returns. This world wants you to take it all into your barn, but God says, leave the edges. And here's why. This is really big. God says, leave edges because we're not just growing for ourselves. God says, leave the edges because we're not just working for our own. We're supposed to leave something for others as well. And in this instance, uh, we have to figure out who are the others that we're supposed to leave for. This is the gut punch. The God of the Bible says, leave the edges so that the poor and the foreigner can have theirs. And every single time the Lord says this, he ends it by saying, I'm the Lord your God. Leave the edges for the poor and the foreigner. Read for that people without a life. If you do have a life, and by the way, we said that your field was your life. That, that, that soil from which abundance and sustenance, uh, that soil from which everything that cares for you grows. If that's the truth, and if God is saying, leave the edges for the poor and the foreigner, then who is he talking about? Well, he's talking about people who don't have a life. He's talking about people 
who are on the sojourn, who are on a journey trying to find life, people who are needy and they need a break or two along the way. Here's what I want everybody at the vineyard to know this morning. God loves the poor and the foreigner and he intends for them to find some margins and to, and to find some edges to glean. In the kingdom of God, even the poor and the outcast can find a harvest. That's the way it's supposed to be. When we're talking about leaving the edges of our field for others, that's what we're talking about. What I mean is something that's fairly all-encompassing. Build some edges into your life for others. Build some margins. We need to explore that just for a moment. I want to talk to you about edges for a moment. Our fields represent all kinds of things. But principally, our fields represent three things. Our time, our energy, and our money. That's what they represent. And the God of the Bible would say, leave some edges of your time, your energy, and your money for other people. Not, not just your family, not even just your church family, but leave it for some other people. Right now, this world wants to absorb every square inch of your life. I don't know if you're aware of that. This world wants all of your money, this world wants all of your time, and this world wants all of your energy. It is so easy to end up with a life that has zero margin. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Man, I've been there so many times in my life where I just have no margin. Let alone for the poor and the needy, but but no margin for even the people who are closest to me and the ones that I love. Let me tell you, when, when you find that to be the case, you can know for sure that we're moving away from the kingdom of God. Somehow, like, let that be a warning sign. We are moving away. It's so easy to wake up hurried and beaten down. But the God of the Bible says, leave some edges in your life. Be ruthless in your pursuit of having some of your field unspoken for. Here, here's why. Because God has spoken for it. God says, leave some parts of your life unspoken for. Why? Because he's already spoken for it. The others we need to see and save for are principally the poor and the foreigner or the stranger. And by the way, what's more current than that? Isn't it funny that there's this Bible text, and not just one, but several, one after another, and they're like thousands of years old and they perfectly speak to our current cultural moment. Isn't that amazing? God has this other dimension that's near to his heart. God loves the poor. He loves people without a field. God loves the foreigner, those who are not in. But before we wax too poetic, we need to know a couple things. One of the things we need to know is that in Matthew 25, the nations are judged for how they treat the poor and the foreigner. You know that passage about the sheep and the goats? A lot of times we read that passage and we think, oh, that's just like a judgment day passage about individuals. No, it's not about individuals. It's about nations. It's about nations. God is going to judge nations for how they, ju for how they treat the poor and the foreigner. America will one day be judged not just for abortion, but we will be judged for how we treated Mexican migrants and those in need. We will be judged. And this is not just about getting our sustenance. Notice that in 
Leviticus 19. Can we put that one back up? This is not just about getting sustenance. If you read this really close, look what it says in Leviticus 19. It says, when you harvest the crops of your land, leave the edges and then look. Look here in verse 10. It's the same with your grape crop. Don't strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes from the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. How many of you know that if you're leaving some grapes in your vineyard, what do people do with grapes? What do sensible people do with grapes? They make wine. They make wine. It is very interesting to me that in Leviticus 19, the Lord is talking about two things at once. When he says, leave the edges of your field, he's talking about like, leave the edges of your grain harvest. What do people do with the grain? They make bread. And if he's saying, leave some bunches on your vines, what is the, what is the, the outcome there? It's make wine. Uh, the Lord is saying to us and to anyone who has ears to hear that the poor have a right not only to sustenance, the grain crop, but they have a right to joy, which is the wine crop. There, there's something here for us. Leave the edges for the poor and the foreigner, the stranger and the outcast. Leave some parts of your life unspoken for because the Lord has spoken for it. And he is saying that the poor and the foreigner and the outcast, they have a right to sustenance and they have a right to joy that we work for. The kingdom of heaven is not like other kingdoms. I'll probably get some emails about this message. That's okay. Leave something along the edges. Church, the kingdom of Christ is a generous and overflowing kingdom where there's always enough. We can leave the edges. And, and here's the reason we can leave the edges. We can leave the edges because Jesus leaves the edges. This is why we can do it, because Jesus leaves the edges. Imagine with me here for a moment. Jesus leaves the edge of his garment for the healing of a low and sick woman. You all remember that story? Jesus leaves the edges. Jesus leaves the edges to welcome a woman in John chapter 4 who did not have a life of her own. She kept, she kept finding the opposite of life. And Jesus leaves the edges for people who have no life. By the way, in John chapter 4, Jesus was not supposed to talk to that woman. He's breaking all the rules. He was supposed to have no time for her. And instead, he takes lots of time for her. Why? Because God, even God leaves... Uh, the edges of his fields uh, for the people who need it most. Uh, there's, a, there's a lady who's been bleeding for 12 years in the Gospels, and she's ceremonially unclean. She is supposed to not come into contact with anyone, and instead she goes right into the crowd, presses through everyone, and grabs a hold of Jesus' cloak right by the edge. Jesus leaves the edge for... We can do it because he does it for us, you know? And not only that, but there's another moment in the Gospels. Uh, there's a Syrophoenician woman. Uh, read for that. Not an insider. Read for that. A foreigner. Read for that. Of the worst kind, like the Jews hated these people. And she comes in to Jesus. Again, not supposed to talk to men. She comes right in the middle of Jesus' vacation. You can read about this. It says that Jesus went to the ocean with his disciples. He's, like, he's on vacation with his disciples 
and a woman from the wrong people busts into his vacation and says, hey, are you the guy that I've heard about? I've got a daughter who's sick. And Jesus looks at her and says, we shouldn't take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Like, if that sounds offensive, I want you to know it was offensive. And she says, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And he says, I can't believe what you've just said to me. Go home, your daughter is healed. Like Jesus leaves the edge of his harvest for the people who are most in need. And we started this series. We started this series by talking about Cornelius. Y'all remember Cornelius? Cornelius was a good guy. Gave his money to the poor, prayed to God. But at the end of the day, Cornelius from the wrong people. Cornelius was one of the guys who was in the same line of work as the men who nailed Jesus to the cross. And God comes to Cornelius one day and says, Well, all of your prayers and giving have been answered. Go call for Peter. And Peter comes over and preaches the most basic gospel in the world to him. He just tells the story of Jesus and the power of the Spirit falls on Cornelius and his whole house. Like God keeps the margins of his field for the outsiders. God keeps the margins of his field for the nobodies and the poor. God keeps the margins for the least and the lost. And we can do this because he has done it for us. Even Matthew, the tax collector. Like, you can't read the Gospels. You cannot read the Gospels without seeing Jesus put Leviticus 19, Leviticus 23, the whole story of Ruth. Like, it's all there. All the people who were in the center of the field, all the people who had been harvesting the crops of God for years were leaving out the very people that Jesus came to gather in. Like, none of the Jews liked Matthew. They hated that guy. He was an extortionist. He wasn't just an IRS agent for the Roman Empire. He was an extortionist because he could use the soldiers to get more. And so what he would do is he would tax the people what Rome wanted, and he would throw a little bit extra on for himself. You understand this? Jesus walks right up to Matthew and says, I have a piece of my field for you. Would you like to come and follow me? And Matthew gets up from his table and takes right off with Jesus. See, we can do this because Jesus does it for us. And this is the best news that I know. This is the best news that I know. And in a world right now that is drunk on scarcity thinking, that, that, that we need to take what's ours and that we don't ever need to share it, that we need to get what's coming to us and if someone hasn't gotten here properly or if someone hasn't done enough of their own work or if someone hasn't, uh, hasn't been raised right, then they need to be left out in the dark. I want to tell you, that might be the way the world thinks. That can never be the way that we think. Because the God of the Bible says, leave some margins in your life and leave it not just for good people, but leave it to really, really broken people. Maybe the people who offend you most are the people that he is wanting you to sustain. It could be. It could be. Amen. I think I've said enough. Amen. 
That's the gospel, y'all. That's the gospel. This is the good news. This is the good news. Jesus says, my father reigns on the good and the bad. Man, nobody gets in because you were awesome. Everybody gets in because Jesus left a corner for you. You know, everything that Jesus has, he shares. Everything that Jesus has, he shares. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.